0: Just, just slap me twice Hold in the head up. if I need
1: to shut up. <laughs> right here, it's all right, guys. We are back. This is Bob Cooney for Replay Magazine at VRLA at the Los Angeles Convention Center, and I am here with Brooks Brown, who's Hello, the global director of virtual reality for Star VR. And, and those of Star you that Studios. have Star, Star- Starberry Studios, Starbree Studios actually, which is a, a level above Star VR. It is.
0: It's, uh, the game developer who's been around for about 20-some years, done a whole bunch of work for higher stuff over a very long period. Uh, we, we were fortunate enough to have an amazing breakout hit with Payday. Yeah. And it gave uh, our entire company a chance that to... That was s- like Payday, huh? Yeah, it was. It's uh, My favorite thing is people ask, what do you do? And I say, we make money off of bank robberies, which is technically true. It is true. But the reality is it gave our company a chance to sit back and go, what do we really want to do as a company do we like this idea of being work for hire and they had, they had done this huge reboot and as they moved forward they started realizing the promise of vr was something that people were finally delivering on Maybe the oculus kickstarter htc was getting in the game valve was getting in the game all this excitement and so we started coming up with what do we want to really do in this space and so we sat back and saw that the home market and mobile market were really. Uh, we're never gonna be in the mobile market because we're not Samsung. Like, there's a reality, we know that. And at the same time, we're not gonna be able to really defeat the home market at this time because it's just really crowded. So we stepped back and we created our own headset. It's called the Star VR. We partnered with Acer on the manufacturing. And it's an extremely high-end headset. It's uh, 5K, 210 degrees, uh, really, really designed to give you that deep level of immersion.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I'll say I did it at um, IMAX VR, thanks to you guys um, setting up a demo for me a little bit uh, a little while ago. And yeah, I, I thought it was by far the best visual experience I'd had. It was a lot lighter than I expected it to be. For some reason, I was picturing the old virtuality headset for 1991. Um, And uh, and I will say the wide field division was a big difference. It really made a noticeable difference in immersion.
0: We we think it's a big deal for us. um, You know, I like to say whenever I'm doing a talk that VR is a promise that we're delivering on 30 years late, that we have a lot of catching up to do. People like my dad, who are not technologically inclined at all, he's had an e-machine. For the longest time is his computer so like he's not installing a new graphics card or getting a vibe that's not my dad or updating windows 10 or updating to windows 10. (laughs) he still pines for windows 3.1 it's really bad but his his entire life if i were to say to him dad vr is down the street he knows literally what that promise is and so we're our job is to deliver on that promise when someone like my dad or the broad consumer comes in puts that headset on for the first time and you know, we've been fortunate that a lot of good, you know, Vive and Oculus experiences exist and, you know, get, Samsung's put out some great stuff. For us, we want to try to deliver even grander than that.
1: Alright, so I'm going to stop you right there and call bullshit. So, is anybody actually putting out great stuff?
0: I think your great stuff exists. It's tough. One of the, probably the biggest lacking thing right now in virtual reality is having actual curation. Right. It's the same thing uh, for the first six months of the App Store existing. If you remember that, Apple did their damnedest to try to catch up to it, but they weren't ready for the literally millions of apps that would exist on the store. And I had friends making apps who, they were really, really amazing. And if you knew who they were, you could find it because it was on their Facebook page that they put it out, but it wasn't on the front page of the app store. And we've got that same problem in VR right now. For every game that is literally just punching flying robots or shooting flying robots, which is I think most things that are out there, especially tech demos, there's also a Tilt Brush. There's also a Google Earth. There's also a super hot. good God, Super Hot's brilliant in VR. There's, there's a lot of experiences, it's tougher to find them, and it's one of the reasons that you know, we're still a very insular community. I know these things because I follow on Reddit and on Twitter, and yeah. I know you and I know all these people who are like, you, Brooks, you need to check this thing out. And I'm totally down with that, but people like my dad or people who are not part of that inner circle, they're not able to discover that content. It's one of the reasons uh, when we go into locations, like for example, you mentioned the IMAX VR Center, the Star VR headset is there, it's very important to us that we get that to a level that is delivering on that promise. And yeah. is that sort of transporting experience. Uh, and that is every level from the, the screen itself to the level of fidelity, we can run the whole thing on 1080 Ti's which is a nice min-spec to have a an ATI, or dual titans or whatever we want. So we can really drive particle effects and lighting and all of these amazing things. And at the same time, our tracking solution lets us actually have a real life MV5. It's not real, it's a modified airsoft gun that we've done a lot of stuff to, but you can actually hold a gun as you're running around. And those simple steps give people an understanding that this is gonna be quality when they step in. It's one of the reasons that it's big to us to make sure that that curation is one of the things all of us are caring about. And it's not me who's the only one ringing this bell. It's the HTC and Valve and all of them are trying to find ways to make sure that the great stuff bubbles to the top.
1: Yeah. So I've got a, a, a little bit of a theory, which is that the the industry, the tech industry went with, went with a, the, the lo- most recent paradigm of launching stuff into the consumer industry and then you know and 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 the consumer industry wasn't ready and they did that maybe based on where gaming went. Gaming started in the arcades, and then it went into the home. And and that was because everybody understood what video games were, so it was easy to make the transition to the home. There was no context challenge. And so now all of a sudden we've come out with a whole new technology, a whole new experience, something that's an entirely new paradigm. And people are like, what the hell is it? And so thinking it's going to go right into the consumer market with these high prices, now people are looking back on it saying maybe that was stupid. Right, so so how how is out of home gonna feed that? A lot of people are looking at out of home market as potentially buying runway for people, or as a, as a way of providing that um, demo experience or whatever. I, how I do you view the out of go, home market?
0: I I go further back. A lot of people like to combine uh, VR and talk about how it's similar to the original game consoles or arcades in the '80s. Yeah, I go much further back. That it's actually the same as when film appeared. Because what you end up with is extremely expensive setups that actually only fairly wealthy people can actually afford. It ends up taking most of a room, it's an entire dedication, and it's an art form that, at the time, nobody had a clue what to do with. The original first movies were flat, static images, effectively like a play, that would take place on a stage in front of you. No cuts, no dolly movements, none of these things. And then this movie called The Great Train Robbery came along and everyone was like... What are you doing? You can't move a camera? That'll disorient everybody. And everyone was like, oh, it's ridiculous. But now we've got editing, hard cuts, smash cuts, Dutch angles, all these things that seven year olds are using on iMovie. They're very ingrained in our culture. And VR is in that first stage where we're trying to figure out literally what VR is, how to get it to people, and where the setup is. For us, Uh, And obviously, I'm biased. I made the leap a year ago to come to StarVR and work with Starbreeze. But location based is very fortunate because we don't have to be at the whims of a number of different things. Having to do a build across a million different types of computers is very difficult for the home audience. Making sure that you have a 15 by 15 foot space. And if I build for that and you have smaller, you can't do my experience. There's a lot of things that are stopping that. For us, we see the location base as a chance for people to pay five, 10, 15 or more dollars, come in, get the taste, have the super high end experience. And then in time, and it's for us, I, I believe it's a significant amount of time, but in time those things will become a little bit more rudimentary, a little bit more expected and people will start being able to get to the point where it's a, I have a beautiful television at home that I watch movies on and that's not something that, you know, 80 years ago people would have even considered
1: or 25 years ago or
0: 25 in my lifetime that's an extraordinary thing. So yep. the the ramp that we've seen is very much more akin to that first era of film I think. But we're in an awkward place all around. You know, I, I walk around VRLA and it's one of my favorite things is everyone here is very much charged with energy and they're very excited and but all of us are also we have to remember we're all uh, doing a bit of navel gazing because yeah. we are all deeply invested into this world and we have to really look at, you know, my parents are from Denver, it's where I grew up. I have family in Michigan and Pennsylvania and New York and yeah. in suburbs. They don't have this tech, they don't understand it the same way we do. So our job is effectively to be the diplomats, the people who are reaching out and creating the technology and the experiences that those people can learn and they can begin to understand the art form that we love so very
1: much. Yeah, one of the one of the one of parts of the fear that's sorry I'm gonna chip my volume. One of the one of the fears that's in the amusement industry I think is that because the the, the console game business undermined the arcade business so dramatically, um, there's a lot of fear around adopting another consumer technology, you know, or starting with a consumer technology and then investing in that and seeing where it comes. And so you know I, I started out warning people to be really mindful of that. And you talked about the custom gun that you guys have, the Airsoft Mm -hmm. rifle. Like, stuff like that isn't going to make it into the home. And I think that one of the things I've found as I do more and more VR experiences, and I just did the the Project Alice SVVR where they Mm -hmm. had the gloves. And they weren't haptics, but they were tracking gloves. And, And the thing that I immediately noticed then was, okay, now we need haptics. And then once we have haptics what else do we need and and all of these things are going to continue to creep that that barrier to entry in the consumer market really high so i'm now starting to think maybe there is a five-year runway or more for out of home as long as they keep investing in the new technology as it comes out of the new hardware to make the experiences better there's a runway where the out-of-home market can sustain a differentiation between the consumer markets maybe indefinitely but and do you i feel think about there's
0: that? there's another side that the theme park industry really needs to look at there's two sort of bonuses. It's a, I'm a big believer in all the things I've done. I've been fortunate to work in film and video games and books and music, but it's about coming to whatever you're doing when you're crossing industries with what is your strengths. And the theme park industry has two that no one can touch. And the first of those is real estate. The reality is if we end up building a you know room the size of this convention center and the entire thing's tracked, I can't do that. Universal can, Theme Park X can. They they have these buildings and these land ready for all of these things. I will never have this in my home. And the one thing I have learned that I'm I'm happy to be disproven on, but I don't believe I will, is nothing in VR is the same as actually running around. The movement method that actually gets people immersed is literally being able to run around. Yeah. All the different teleportation and treadmills and all this, they're great versions of that, but nothing compares. And so that's an angle that the theme park industry definitely owns and could definitely own in the future. I don't foresee that going away. The second thing is there's a level of expertise in crafting these experiences. Um, A lot of people I talk to in theme parks, you know, I've I've been fortunate to sort of watch from afar, as Disney did, uh, the Avatar Lands. I was working on Avatar with uh, some amazing people. I got to watch that. And the way they think of every step and every detail and everything that goes into this, there's a way of thinking about it that no other industry can touch. And as they start building these experiences and as we've been building, I've started to learn that actually VR is more akin to a theme park ride when you're actually building it, especially for the broad consumer. And that way you're thinking of how the queue works, how the entire setup is, where does a person need to look, how is it? This is not how game people design things, this is not how film people design things, it's how theme park people think. Yeah. Uh, Joe Rohde is a brilliant man at, at Disney, and hes I've seen him give amazing talks, and, and he always gives this story about how everything can become a story. How do you make the walls a story and the bricks a story? And that kind of uh, sort of entire narrative thinking is something the theme park industry could absolutely bring to VR and do something super unique with it. And that's a strength that I don't foresee going away anytime soon either. Yeah. Because it's just a mindset and a lot of industries don't have the same
1: mindset. No, absolutely it's a mindset, and I think the that whole that goes back to the first statement about who's doing great work in VR, and I think I think most of the stuff that I've seen in VR are still these, you know, demo what I consider demo experiences. I don't Very think much. that there's been that must play, must-have game that's gonna you know, get people out of their chairs and into their cars. No, we don't have that you know. I think the closest thing to that is what Zero Latency is doing down in in Melbourne, which is a 45 minute game and people drive 20 miles to do that and book it weeks in advance. But um, most of the other stuff seems like it's still, almost feels like it's designed to sell VR to the home. Like, I'm wondering if people are really designing Specifically to build great out of home experiences yet, and and is that going to happen? And if well, so, it's, when?
0: It's our focus, and it's uh, one of the things I take a lot to heart is making sure we design for out of home that it becomes an attraction. And we have a number of things we'll be able to announce soonish. I wish I could on this program. Sorry. Uh, but we'll have a lot of things no to announce today, guys. Sorry, are, you can
1: tune out now. That are
0: exciting in that direction. That a lot of us uh, on this side are exploring. What makes an out-of-home experience? When you design a home one, John Wick is actually a great example. We internally developed that, and we built it for the Vive, which is for a home audience, mm-hmm. and we built it for our headset, which is a uh, arcade audience. It's at the, the IMAX VR Center. Absolutely, go check it out. It's great, I promise. Uh, the reality is, when we developed those, we developed them to be similar. Yeah. It was one single pipeline, one development process, and we learned that was a mistake very quickly, based not only on core demographics, but you know, when you're talking about the level of technical education a person has coming into something, uh, you know, I'm designing a game, I'm making a shooter. When someone gets shot, I have a hit marker on the right side, the screen gets slightly red, and over time it gets more red until you die, it turns black, and you respawn. Very basic game loop, literally in almost every video game right. that's ever been made. It doesn't work at all in VR. Because what ends up happening is people, when they die, they take the headset off. When the screen goes red, they're confused because their screen's blurry. It's all of these things, it's a completely different way about thinking about the psychology of it. And again, I go back to, I've taken a lot of cues from, you know, the people much smarter than me in the theme park industry about how you design where someone's looking, how they're looking, how you tell a story with every inch, and how you get them through an experience. Because the goal for us is to create magic. And so if we have a John Wick experience where perhaps maybe you don't die, maybe you can't die, maybe the bullets are just shocking and scary and that's the idea, it's like King Kong, he can't actually kill you when you take the Universal tour but you really feel like he could. And it's when we start thinking about what is the goal of us and what are we trying to drive a person through? What do we want them to experience? That's where out of home rests. And again, uh, the theme park industry is the best at this in the world. There's a reason they do what they do.
1: Yeah, so I've been wondering recently, is there, you know, how much are we limited by our current paradigms that we're bringing? So, you know, you guys are coming from, you know, from console and PC gaming and people coming from theme parks and people coming from film. I had an interesting lunch today with a group that's um, comes from TV and movie production, special effects, and they want to build a VR studio and they want to do all this stuff and they want to do storytelling. That was the big thing and I'm like, okay, so what does storytelling even mean in VR? And Because when I think about storytelling, I think linear. Once upon a time, the end, and everything in between. And Is that really storytelling? Should we be using that vernacular? And so, like, I'm starting to wonder if we don't need just like really to come to the VR business from an experiential standpoint with a real fresh set of eyes and not bring all the bullshit baggage with us from whatever industry we're coming
0: uh, it's, from. It's uh, one of my favorite things is uh, if you watch a panel and you hear where someone thinks storytelling is supposed to be in VR, you can immediately tell what industry they came yeah. from. You can tell, oh, you were a film guy. Oh, you were a writer. Oh, you did this. You were a games guy. It's how everyone thinks about it. Uh, it there's actually a lot of us in the industry who fit more into my box, where you kind of never actually sat in any specific industry. Uh, I spent most of my time trying to deconstruct agency in games, which is super important to VR. So I have more of a philosophy, literal criticism mentality. But for me, when you're designing these things, we need to make sure we think of story the way that uh, Charlie Kaufman, Key uh, New York, it's one of my favorite films. And he has this line in it uh, that he says, uh, everyone is the lead in their own story. And he's talking about the real world. Yeah. He's not talking about virtual reality, but he is. To me, it's the same lesson. When people go through it, they're not going through my story. They're not going through your story. They're going through their story. That they're the lead in.
1: And it's interesting that they're like. If you think about the, my, my my grandfather always told me the hint to the mystery is always in the book title. And um, and you know, it, virtual reality, right? I mean, it. It really is, needs to be modeled on how we perceive reality for it to really be immersive and effective and, and taking all of these non-real experiences and modeling VR experiences after these other non-experiences, non-real experiences is just the wrong approach. When, when the Oculus came out, uh,
0: my favorite thing in the world to do any time a new VR game is to sit on Twitch and watch Let's Plays because you can learn so much about them even though they're the most hardcore really if you're broadcasting on twitch and you want to vibe you're kind of in that one yeah. percent but as they uh, went through their day everyone played this there was this one release that was a sort of cavern dungeon and dragons type thing where you had a torch you were going around a like dungeon type thing invariably everyone had the torch in their hand and they would reach up and try to burn the cloth that was hanging and the cloth didn't burn ever that is to me the same, it's, that is what you're talking about. The reality is that when people come, they are themselves. You're recontextualizing Bob or Brooks into this world, and I'm bringing my 36 years of living on Earth as my experience of how to move and how to do stuff. The same way that when i sit down and i play halo 5 i'm bringing all my time of playing the previous halos into what does an a button do yeah. i don't have to think about that i know what a button does the same way that yep. if i take a torch and i burn a thing it better damn well burn because that's how reality works so when we play with people it's extremely important that we pay attention to how the world should respond or at least teach them how to really deal with it it's an old theory of agency in games it's a comment book called homo ludens story about a man who plays is the idea that uh, how we learn uh, how the world works is through play it's how children do it adults too. everyone play with very simple things and vr gives us that ability once again first time you see anyone do tilt brush no one just dives into painting something beautiful even the best artists in the world and i've seen some phenomenal artists go through it they sit there and they go oh how does this work this work and they, they play with all the different tools and then they set out and we have to remember that
1: that's what everyone's doing when they come to VR. So, so how do you feel about like? And I don't know if you can talk about this stuff specifically from from Starbreeze and Star VR perspective, but just if not just personally, multiplayer game mechanics around out of home. Like, what do we need to see um, come to market for the VR arcades to be sustainable?
0: Well. So
1: that is a mouthful right there,
0: <laughs> so let's, let's break it apart. So okay. what VR needs is one of the things we're focusing on in Starbreeze and a lot of people is we're coming at uh, game concepts not with the concept in mind but with here's the things we need to solve. If We think of VR as this grand artistic blueprint and it's actually a pyramid, we're still on that first layer of blocks. How does a person do X? How do we allow a person to know Y? How do we do these things that are very common language in every other medium? So we are trying to solve a bunch of those, and as we solve that first row, we'll move to the more complex ones. How do you get someone to move fast? How do you get someone to know someone's next to them? And then at some point, how do you get two people in the same room, four people? There's a lot of stuff before we get there, before we get to 500 people and it's Halo in real life, or whatever that same dream I think everyone has, or Ready Player One, you pick your fantasy. Uh, The reality is we've got a lot of building blocks first. So for us, we're starting with those, and we're starting with short, simple experiences that start teaching the general audience how to digest VR. Because, uh, like I said, we believe that we're in that place where people are going to the movie theater for the first time. And back then, a 20-minute movie was long. Avatar uh, is extremely long. How did we teach people? We, we, We just taught them over time. So we have to do that. So we're creating shorter experiences, teach people how VR works, teach the general audience what to expect when they put on a headset, And as we're starting to do that, we're seeing more people gaining a tolerance for longer term, coming back with shared knowledge, or coming to other experiences, or even from other experiences, having learned how those things work. So I think we're still in that phase. So for us on the location-based, it's about starting rudimentary. It's about starting in a place where people can play with very, very simple toys in that world and allowing them to explore what it's like to be elsewhere. It's one of the reasons I steal the idea of theme parks. They're amazing. Transformative places, when you go to Disney or you go to Universal or you go to name name any of them, uh, you actually disappear onto another place. Uh, It's really the first step of virtual reality. Building a physical thing that doesn't look real. And when you're there, what is it like when a person wants to move around? What if they want to do X? What if they want to do Y? How do you guide them into certain ways? And as we start learning these other basic things, we're starting small, we're growing. So that's where VR is in general right now.
1: So, um, so back to, to Star VR, like if if somebody's listening to this and they're contemplating building a VR arcade, um, is your product available at this point commercially? How would they get it? Or is it and is and does it only come with your bundled experience, which is like John Wick? Is it exclusive to IMAX? Talk to a little bit about your go-to-market strategy, so, I guess.
0: So right now we're talking to all sorts of partners and locations. And the way it works is you contact us via our website. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we work, whether it's in, it, there's literally a lot of ways we work. Again, we're in this very early stage. No one even knows what the monetization model is around a lot of this. We're seeing good money can be made in VR. The ability to charge and not have price-sensitive customers is very real for location-based VR. $10, $20, $30 for 10 minutes is an extraordinary ROI. Yeah. So once you start getting into that place, how does that work who is it with where are they sitting how is all that we're talking to a lot of partners globally about what this really looks like so hit up the website talk to us we have uh, developers we can work with your developers we have headsets we have tracking all of these things and we're trying to also figure out how to do all of this fun stuff okay okay,
1: cool so is there anything you could talk about as far as content wise that is supported by the star vr headset itself like or is it is it does it have to be developed specifically for it? Can it work with anything in the in the Vive store per se? So per se- yeah,
0: generally speaking, you have to come through our SDK. Yep. So you have to be a licensed person. It's a big deal for us is making sure that we curate. We don't we don't want the Star VR having the same race to the bottom that a lot of other things have. It's 50 cent or free apps that are terrible that people put on their headset and they go, oh I don't care. And then they're done with VR forever. And yep. That sucks. So we're being very, very precious with how we're doing all of this. Uh, but we're again, we're very open and there is a wide variety of people we're talking to. Right
1: okay, now. anything you can any game titles you can talk about I yet? I can't. That's right. I have to ask. I
0: know. It's it's worth asking. I, we're exploring with a bunch of different, really fantastic uh, game companies and film companies, and everyone, everyone's trying to get in the space and figure it out. And we're very fortunate because location-based is right now the best case for monetization.
1: Yeah. Now, you guys had done a deal with um, uh, a Walking Dead experience a yes. while ago. Was that at this show uh, or it,
0: SVVR? Uh, well, it was here as well. Okay, uh, it was. Uh, God, it's been some time. It's been a couple of years now, I think. We also ended yeah. up Walker Stalker, which is the Walking Dead convention. Yeah. Uh, which is an insane thing unto itself. I
1: actually did the Walker. I did their um, their escape room slash yes. haunted house thing in New Jersey, and it, it was it was so great. It was fantastic. It was seventy bucks. You know what I loved about that, just kind of as a sidebar, is you paid fifty, sixty, seventy dollars I don't know what it was um, to either be a walker, and they would dress you up in zombie makeup or a stalker in which you would go through the escape room experience. Yep. And so the people that were working at it were paying to work there, which I thought was the best business model uh, ever. It's
0: amazing and this is again when we get into how we're working, you know, the the guys who own the Walking Dead uh Skybound, wonderful partners. Yeah. Um, they we we've, we've been friends with them for a long time. They're amazing and the the piece we did for VR was really the first chance we started to see that there isn't price sensitivity and that location-based was a really good way to go because the experiences were very short and they were very expensive. Yeah, And we were having a two to three hour line, like that's,
1: which yeah, is this was seven. I want to say it was 60 or 70 bucks and I think it was a 10 or 12 minute experience.
0: It's very quick. So when you start getting into the point where you're working with us and you have a significant IP or a captive audience, our ability to do things that are hyper immersive and really do generate income is very, very real. Again, it's about stepping back and going, what is it that is actually our strengths? What do we actually own? How can we really serve the customer? And once we've come at it from that place and we're thinking of that user experience from beginning to end, how does someone hear about it? How do they come? What does the queue line look? How do we spray the headset down? What happens when they put it on? When they put on the headset, do they see a hyper real version of the booth that they're standing in? Yeah. Which is great. And then we melt the world away or a zombie comes over the side. like. Let's think through the entire process to really deliver that amazing experience. It's, that's our process. Yeah, in and general. so are
1: you. Are you looking? So when you look at it, because this is something I've seen, a lot of um, a lot of companies have done a. They've they've focused so much on the second act, right, which is the game itself. They really haven't thought about the first act and the third act, which is the pre and post. Very um, much. Are you got like you just mentioned, like going into the lobby and seeing a virtual version of that? How involved are you guys in curating? that entire end-to-end consumer experience, or are you leaving that up to your partners and hoping it goes well? Both. It depends on the partner.
0: It, It depends on how we're involved and what we're setting up for the core experience. It's very important to us, especially when it comes to people having a high-end experience in the Star VR headset, that the entire thing is very, very well thought out and that people are taken care of as they go through. And there's bumps in the road. We're all still learning. The IMAX VR Center's done exceptionally well, and it's only three months old. It's a, I was on a panel a couple months ago, and someone said, "And a veteran of virtual reality. And I'm just like, I'm not. What? I sh- I've been doing this for a year. Like The idea that there are veterans at this point is hilarious. But it's kind of true. It's We've been the first that's really been successful we're very fortunate so as we start expanding out it's important that we continue to learn and grow off of those lessons things like uh, when a person sees a five controller which is one of the reasons that we like our MP5 a lot of people see it and they know there's a level of education that they have to do someone like my dad sees it and he's like I'm not ready for learning that some games have been very smart about that, where the whole thing is literally just swinging your arms. Perfect. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of understanding about the consumer mind, and we're still learning. And we will continue to learn when we start opening up other places that people can do VR. What does it look like in Asia? What is the user study in the East Coast? What does it look like in yeah, Europe? Yeah, putting your
1: hands on a gun is easy. It's pretty amazing. And it's really immersive. Like That's the thing I keep telling people is that anything that isn't natural breaks your immersion. So I played a demo at at one of the conferences recently and it was a sword fighting demo and I had to use the thumb button on the Vive Controller to pull the sword off my back. And I couldn't freaking find it. And it was just kept, and I was like, okay, I'm in a game, I'm holding a controller, and it, ex- it totally destroyed the immersion. But when, in your case, like you're saying, you put your hands on a gun, and then there's force feedback in that gun, and you pull the trigger, it makes a big difference, so. and,
0: oh, and it's one of the really fun things is you start diving into that. You've got, uh, you know, the John Wick home experience, uh, you have a crate covered in all kinds of guns. We have two pistols, two MP5s, you have an AR-14, you have an M4, and you have a sniper L. It's great, you have all these guns. And so we wanted to bring that to the center, and the goal was you'd have an ammo crate with all the weapons laying there. But as we started playtesting it, people would go John Woo and they'd grab two pistols and they'd be shooting guys, it was great. But then when they saw they needed a sniper rifle, they wouldn't gently sit the guns back down in the ammo crate, they would toss them in the air behind them. (laughs) And it's okay, because those are super expensive projectiles that are now hitting people, so. So how do we build a gun that can be used multiple times? How do we make a fishing rod? It sounds like the stupidest things, and it's one of the reasons we're trying to tackle all of those building blocks uh, for what an experience really is. A fishing rod, it can't just be that, it has to have pull, it has to realistically feel like I'm there. Yep. And anything that isn't letting me know that I'm there is letting me know I'm not there. And that means you're making a shitty
1: experience. Yeah, and that—and that's where the and that's what people are paying for. And this is the thing, that that people in VR are going to be paying top dollar for immersive experiences. And, And that word immersive gets thrown around really a lot, and I think it devalues the meaning of the word. Um, But it's really when you talk about 15, 20, 25, 30 dollars for a 10 minute experience. If it's not entirely immersive, you're not going to be able to sustain those price points, and it's going to be a race to zero.
0: Very much, and the other side is if you do deliver that level of immersion, it's the easiest viral ad that exists. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's the avatar effect. Everyone went and saw it because it's a stunningly spectacular film in 3D and it blew everyone's mind. It's it's that same type of thing. And so as people sit there and they go, I had an amazing experience, it cost me 30 bucks. People aren't thinking it cost me 30 bucks, they're thinking I had an amazing experience. Yeah,
1: before I let you go, are there any statistics you can share with us or insights around the, and I know it's not your facility, so around the IMAX VR IMAX has talked
0: a little bit about, we've had 15,000 people come through. In Uh, three months sorry in three months In in since since it's opening. Since open and, okay and uh the that yeah. the beginning we had a very soft launch we yep. didn't we were very much uh, pulling people in off the street or just basically we unlocked the door is actually how we opened in january and then they did the big opening and it's been amazing since then it, you know the reception for the IMAX center has been really good for us uh, we're very happy with how john wick has done there and it's really fun to go in and i try to go in a couple times a week and watch it sounds creepy when I say it out loud, actually, but uh, because most people don't even know that I'm there, they're in the VR headsets, and I'm kind of like just watching. How are they moving? What is this? But you have like a you know 80, 90 year old guy with a cochlear implant who's half hunched over, who's gunning people down, and then in the pod next to him is an eight year old girl doing the same thing. It's the most amazing. Broad category that I've seen—it's—it's yeah, it, incredible to me. Really, of. kind
1: of brings us back to the original arcade business, where it's—it's like it's, it's entertaining people in ways that they've never been entertained before. And I feel like there's been a in in the industry there's been a, a bit of a jaded sentiment to it, which has really led to the development of these FECs with kitty casinos and <laughs> and ticket machines and and it's become I don't know I feel like it's the business has lost its soul and I wonder if VR isn't a way to get it back.
0: I like to think so, and we like to think of it as, uh, you know, one of my favorite things about the arcade from back in the day is going to it with my friends. Yeah. Back in the day, you'd go, you'd lay your quarters down on Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, wait for your turn, take the guy on, and it was a communal experience in a way that we've lost. But with VR, we're seeing that come back. People come in groups to do John Wick and these things, and they watch each other, they take photos, and it's a very communal experience. And as we expand out, we're exploring ways to bring the audience into that experience or to have multiple people doing it. How do we let people have a hyper-social experience while they're there? Now that we know that that's absolutely the most common use case, we get families and date night, which I, VR date night, there you go. Yeah. Awesome. It's
1: great. So um, Brooks Brown, Global Poobah of virtual reality for Starbreeze. Global Poobah. I should have demanded that as my title. As VR. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you Uh, for having me, Bob. This is Bob Cooney for Replay Magazine, and I'm just going to say it again and again and again. Um, If you guys are um, at all interested in the future of the industry, um, go right now, buy some VR stuff. Go on Amazon, get HTC Vive, and and a couple of controllers, and a tracking system if you have a good PC at home. Um, If you have a PS4 at the house, get PSVR. Start playing with this stuff. Start understanding it. It's going to change the industry. It's going to change the world. And the more I dig in, the more excited I get about it. So um, follow me at replaymag.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, SCDude. I'm all over the place. So look forward to talking to you guys again. And until next time, uh, this is Bob Cooney for Replay Magazine. Thanks.